Hi, and welcome to Old Man Stink, the podcast for late boomers and early Gen Xers who are confident and skilled at using and adapting the technology around them, but also know what to pay attention to and what to ignore. I'm your host, Gerard McClellan. How are you, sir? All right, how about you? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Hey, I'm getting a little static on my phone here, so I'm just going to place it gently in what we call, yeah, crap. Well, can, can, you hear the, can you hear the static at all? I don't hear your static at all, no. Okay. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's, the, um, maybe it's the phones. And I'm uh, on a landline, so this is, this is a landline. It's not myself. Okay. So um, uh, we'll give this a shot. Hey, it's a wild, wild world of, what do we call this thing? Just making shit up as we go along, right? I guess. I've, I've been on one other podcast in my life. Okay. How um, did that go for called, you? called Pizza Beer Revolution, PBR. Of course. Well, it's Have a, you ever heard a, of it? A P- PBR, so that's like Pabst Blue Ribbon? Not Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's called Pizza Beer Revolution. I have not, and, but I will um, check it out. There's a cable. There's a cable TV show out there. The one where the guys like spoof everybody. Um, oh, what's it called? I forget it now. And it's one of the guys from that show is also a local school teacher, um, and he does this podcast. They've been doing it forever. Uh, I was on it a couple of years ago. It was a lot of fun, but it was. It wasn't like an over the phone thing. We actually, I actually went to their house and they had this like little setup and. It was fun. Well, was we're not going to do that with the coronavirus banging no around way. trying to kill off everybody. Are you wearing oh, a you mask these I, days? I have a condom on my phone right now just to make sure I'm safe. <laughs> I got a little foam. I got a little foam thing on the mic. I'll throw away after this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm the only one who uses this this um, this microphone. And uh, so far, I, I tested and I tested negative. Um, don't have the antibodies, so I'm, I'm trying to preserve myself. Uh, in the state that uh, that I came out of the womb, a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, we also. My wife and I also tested negative for antibodies. It's been a few weeks now, so yeah. hopefully we're, we're staying negative. Yeah, well, that's kind of a bittersweet thing because if if there is herd immunity, you want the antibodies. Exactly. <laughs> but but there's also the science that says you know you got the antibodies, but that's not a that's not guaranteed that you're not going to get it again. Well, because next year when it comes around again, it's going to be a different strain like the flu, and you know you're not you know you had these antibodies, but it, it's only. Uh, 60% effective and yada, yada, yada. It's almost as if the theory of evolution is a real thing and <laughs> and and organisms adapt to survive and thrive. That's an incredible theory. We should advance that. Maybe, uh, maybe. You know what? I, I, there's part of me that is just so exhausted about talking about it. I, I that The part that just wants to go back to some semblance of normalcy in my life. Yeah, you know, it, it was so, it got so bad. Like, cause we're obviously still on lockdown here in Jersey. Although this week they opened up um, outdoor dining on Monday, but by the by the weekend, my wife and I had said, "Okay, we've got to do something here." It's a beautiful sunny day out. She has a convertible, um, so we take off and we go to Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania have have eased their restrictions weeks ago. And we go up to the Poconos. We have this beautiful outdoor lunch. You know, everyone's social distanced. We don't have to wear a mask. It's fantastic. We're having the greatest day. We stop at a couple breweries, and we're about to head back for home and hit a massive pothole on the street. And her run-flat tire of her front front of her car decides to not just go flat, it's a gigantic chunk out of the tire. And, of course, the rim is also dented. And we're 75 miles from home. Needless to say, four and a half hours later, we get home. The car stays in Pennsylvania. It's nearly $1,000 in repairs. So... 
did we really need to get out of the house that bad? Couldn't we have just waited? Well, and the thing is, do you really need the car that badly? <laughs> you have to claim it. <laughs> uh, Here's my contribution to the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Good luck. And and God knows they need it. I've you know I've been on that turnpike, and my God, if there's a state that doesn't spend anything on infrastructure, infrastructure, it is Pennsylvania. <laughs> Especially, no, especially no, the Western live and part. Learn. Life, life is a life is a whole series of lessons, and that was a lesson that we got hit with over the weekend. It Although is, we, yeah. Even after it was all over, we said, if we if we knew this was going to happen, would you still go? And we both said, yeah, we really needed to get out of the yeah. house. No, I hear you there. Well, we kind of launched right into it, and you know, we're just going to. I hate editing audio, and I just I just kind of like run with whatever we talk about. But we did kind of launch into this, and and I guess our our listeners pretty much need to know who who the hell are these two idiots. Well, these two idiots are named Gerard, and I think that was that might have been the the first time we kind of connected because I know at one point on LinkedIn I was just searching out every Gerard that that um, that was on LinkedIn with with the notion that every Gerard on LinkedIn has one has at one point in their life been called Gerald, and so I'm mm-hmm. thinking I need to connect with these people if only for that one little itty bitty pain point in our lives. Is that we're called well, Gerald a lot? Should, you should start a LinkedIn group that's called "We Are Not Gerald" oh, and only invite Gerards to it. That is an interesting. Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to run with that, or you could run with that. Now, I, it's it, you're more of you're you're way more into the the social media stuff than I am, so go for it. Okay. Well, what? Just take take your six seconds and explain to the listeners who you are and why we should care. Uh, I have no idea why you should care, but my name is Gerard Marone, and I am in uh, in the great state of New Jersey, born and raised here my entire life. Have had a wild and woolly career all over the place, bounced into multiple industries and multiple jobs, and uh, currently in one for the last three and a half years that I'm looking to get out of. Whoops, hopefully no one from my company listens to this podcast. And, how, te- uh, how, te- have- how tech are they? How tech forward are they? <laughs> Not very. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, <laughs> We're safe. So I have I have uh, three children, two grandchildren, and uh, you know I'm just uh, just a guy who loves soccer. Okay. Well, I think that you know your your point on soccer. I think the way we met initially is you were working for a company that we did work for at River Shark was was ICCDS. That's right, David Rich. I, yeah, David Rich, and I, and he's a great connector, great guy. And I think you were the 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 executive salesperson or sales sales vice president. Take me yeah, back. I, I was. Uh, I, frankly, on my resume, it's listed as a consulting job because it only was, it was only like a six month thing. Um, David David had some grandiose ideas of where he thought his business could go, and I had to be the bearer of bad news to tell him that he it was not really a place that people would pay for the services that he wanted to provide. He wanted to you know he wanted to get brands to pay for audits of their stuff at retail when it was really the retailer's job to pay for audits at what's going on at retail and was convinced that brands would pay for it. And I was convinced that brands would not. So as a proof of concept, I went out and effectively proved <laughs> that the brands would not pay for it. Sometimes and sometimes being right. The, yeah. No, go, go on. Certainly not at the level he wanted it to be paid for. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and interestingly <laughs> enough, so here's a very quick, funny David Rich ICCDS story. So while I was doing this for David, um, uh, a new soccer league was launching called WPS, Women's Professional Soccer. And there was going to be a team in New Jersey. And at the time I was working for David, I also owned a franchise called Soccer Shots. 
And Soccer Shots is a franchise company that brings soccer to nursery schools and, and daycare centers and things like that um, as an activity. So, and, and I bought this franchise because my son was in college at the time, and I thought it would be something that could set him up for when he came out of school if he wanted to be. And he was working for Soccer Shots, and it was founded by two guys at the college he went to, and he knew the founders. So it seemed like the right thing to do. So I buy this franchise, and, and I'm kind of doing it a little bit here in New Jersey. And WPS has announced, and they're going to have a, a professional soccer league, women's soccer league here in New Jersey. So what do I do? The sales guy by nature, I pick up the phone and I call the owner of the franchise, who's you know 40 minutes away from me, and I just say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'd love to help you guys out. Um, I'll distribute flyers. I'll you know put up signs, whatever you want. I just want you to be successful. I'm not looking for anything. I'm not looking for money. I'm not looking for a job. I'm not looking for anything. Fantastic. Why don't you come in? Went into the office, sat down and met with them, um, met with the, the principal operating owner at the time of the franchise, as well as their general manager and head coach, a gentleman named Ian Sawyers. You may not have heard of Ian Sawyers, but you've absolutely heard of his wife, Julie Foudy. So Julie was also in the meeting, and we talked, and I went on my merry way, and I left. About a week later, I get called back by, his name was Thomas Hofstetter, the principal owner. He calls me back and says, hey, can you come in again? love to talk to you again. Sure. I thought it was about how I could help them out. He and one of the other owners are sitting there, and we start to have a three-hour meeting at which the end of the meeting they said, would you consider coming on board as the vice president of sales and marketing? We have sold no sponsorships. We're having a struggle in ticket sales. We have no real marketing plan, and the season kicks off in like eight months, and we really need some help. Would you consider doing this? So... I'm like, well, uh, this sounds pretty interesting. I was kind of excited. I wasn't really, I didn't think the ICCDS thing was going to really take off. Um, so I, uh, I go home and talk to my wife, who immediately says, what kind of moron are you and why would you do this? We have one child in college. We have another one about to go into college, and we have one in a private high school behind that. What is this, like a soccer club? You're going to be the running, you're going to run a soccer club? Like, what is this? Had no clue. She was totally against it. So as a good, dutiful husband that I am, I said no and turned the job down. And it was all I could think about for the next two weeks. Could not leave my mind. This is what I wanted to do. So had a great meeting with my wife over a dinner out at a restaurant and said, "If what do I need to do for you to say yes to this? And she said, well, if you could get them to do these two things. So one was like a contract, you know, a, non, a non-cut contract. Um, and one was a little bit higher salary than they were talking about. So if you can do these, you have my full support. I said, fantastic. The next morning I called back Thomas said, did you do anything about that job yet? He said, nope. I said, can you do these two things? He said, absolutely. And I need you to be in Kansas city in seven days and be there for the draft because we're going and now we're this much closer to the season and we have nothing going on. So now I became the VP of sales and marketing for Sky Blue FC, women's professional soccer, and away we go. The downside of this, though, is now I had to meet with David Rich and say, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving, and I'm not, and unfortunately, I have never done this in my life. I, I need to leave like today because I have to be. And that meeting took place in the exhibit hall at the NRF show in New York City. <laughs> so there's oh your retail tie-in. <laughs> So at NRF, David and I sit down over a cup of coffee, and I tell him what's going on. I said, look, David, this is literally the opportunity of a lifetime. 
right? So I'm going to get it to be in professional soccer, which is my sport, and I get to make money and do all this right. stuff. And, and in, and in, I was in context, to be, be, yeah, well, in, con- in context, the WPS was an offshoot, I believe, of the Women's World Cup where they came off a win in, remind me of the year here, it was 2000? Uh, WPS started in 2009. It was, uh, it kicked off in 2009. Now, there was the league that, came off of the World Cup win was WUSA. Gotcha, WUSA. okay. I'm confusing those two. All right. WUSA lasted three years and then went went bust, couldn't be sustained. A uh, few years difference in between, and then WPS was born. So that launched in 2009. So this story gets better if you're interested in me continuing I am. Talk. Please continue. Please. Okay. So now I show up at the team. Where we, we go, and we have Ian Sawyers, you know, kind of a big name, uh, Australian guy, his wife is obviously big. I get I get Julie to voice over my radio ads that I start running and starting to build this business. We're the first company, we're the first team in the league to sell a jersey sponsor, which I sold. You know, and so we're building this thing out. We're starting to get some traction on tickets, although tickets were always a struggle. And and the season starts, and you know, it was a brand new thing. So and we had a great team. I mean, we had some major players, you know, on our team like Christy 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 Pierce, Christy Rampone, captain of the national team, Heather O'Reilly. Yael Averbush, uh, Karen Bardsley, who's now the goalkeeper for the England national team. So, you know, big names um, for their respective spots. But we're not having a lot of success on the field. We also have a player named Tasha Kai, who's a bit nutty, but full of tattoos, and she's from Hawaii and is just electric on the field. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on, um, but we're not having success. What does that mean, success on the field? Uh, we're not winning. We're okay. losing. Perfect. <laughs> we're, we're in, I get we're it. In next to, we're in next to last place. Okay. And um, and we're starting to hear rumblings from the players that, you know, the coach is a little comes a little unhinged every once in a while. So now we're starting to get concerned about that. And, and Thomas and I are working very closely together. He's the managing partner, but he's also got another business that he's running. And I'm really the full-time guy there doing sales and marketing. And Ian is supposed to be the general manager, although – Frankly, for him, general manager meant he only dealt with soccer-related stuff and did nothing with the business, so I was running the business. And these rumblings start coming from the players. And, and if you've been around soccer players, both male and female, it's a massively different dynamic um, in a women's professional environment than it would be in a men's professional environment. Just in terms of, and, and this is not sexist by any way, because I think if there was a woman on the phone, she would agree, it's much more of an emotional situation um, in a women's team that would be in a men's team. Different things are important to women than they are to men. Like, you know, men will be out on the field, they'll, they'll beat each other up on the field physically, and then they'll go out for a beer afterwards. Um, women don't act that way. They, they repress a lot more of those kind of frustrations and things like that. Um, at least it, it was been my experience to see that, and it, I think it's been backed by a lot of people. So long story short, we get a report that um, – the, the coach, who was also the GM at the time, uh, pushed a player up against the wall by the neck and had a fist clenched and was about to punch somebody. This is not a good thing. <laughs> and that happened at a, at a getting ready to leave practice. So they, they have this practice. This happens. It comes to us. And they had already boarded the bus and were headed for Washington to play the Washington Spirit at uh, RFK Stadium on that Saturday. And this was a Friday. Uh, Thomas decides he's going to head down and because we talked to the lawyers and we now have to address this issue, he calls me at 11 o'clock at night on Friday and says, 
can you come down to DC? Cause we have to fire our coach tomorrow. Um, and I, and I, it's now 11 o'clock. I haven't slept yet. DC is a four hour drive. So I said, yeah, but I'm going to take the train. So I go to take an Amtrak at a Metro park, get down to DC and I get down there at like four o'clock in the morning. Um, and we have breakfast with Ian and we have to terminate him. And then we have to go talk to the team. So this is all happening in real time, right? The team's going to play a game. There is an assistant coach and, and a second assistant there in place. Um, we, we not only have to terminate him, we basically walk him out of the hotel, put him in a taxi and send him home, um, to get him away from the team. Now realize this has repercussions because Julie Foudy is his wife who is pretty well known. She's an ESPN broadcaster, part of the, the 99ers who won the world cup for the women. You know, she's a relatively high profile person. So we have to manage that part of it. We also want to keep the details of why it happened as secret as possible because we do have to deal with press. But now we also have no general manager and no head coach. So we make the decision to elevate the, the assistant coach to the head coach's job. And then Thomas turns to me and goes, so what do you think? You ready to be the GM of a professional franchise? <laughs> Absolutely. Take it on. Let's go. And you made this decision with no sleep. Absolutely. Okay. No, I'm at just, that point, just clarifying. The had kicked in. It didn't really matter. <laughs> All right. And I can tell you the breakfast conversation was not an easy conversation to have, and it was not without emotion and, and, and yelling and screaming either. So um, it, was, it was not comfortable by any stretch. But the story gets better. If you'd like me to continue. It was, it was already good, but please no, continue. It gets better. It gets right. way better, actually. So now we, can, we progress into the 2009 season, and we're going along, and the team's actually starting to play a little bit better. We're seeing better results on the field. Um, but now we're getting rumblings that there's some issues with the new head coach. And uh, now how, how PC do I have to be on this podcast, Gerard? I would like to not get sued. What's that? I would like to not get sued. So as, as, oh, as PC as you... That, anything that I'm going to tell you has already <laughs> okay. been disclosed. All right. Go for it. So, um, so on... So we get some, we, there's some rumblings or some issues. All of a sudden there's a player starting to play way more than she probably deserves to play, which kind of gets other players, you know, not real happy. And they're starting to come to us. And, and then I have a couple other people in the organization coming to me, telling me about the second assistant coach, who's a male, who is also acting somewhat inappropriately. So now we have to address these issues. The team is now, we're about three weeks out from the end of the season, and we're sitting in, I think we're sitting in sixth place, and the top four teams go to the playoffs. We now have to terminate the assistant coach and the second, and, and her assistant, which was now a, a, a gentleman, uh, because one was in a romantic relationship, a female was in another, with another female in a romantic relationship, and that player was now starting to play when she shouldn't. And the gentleman was causing some very uneasy situations for many of the females in the organization. So now, sixth place, couple weeks left in the season, we now have to fire our second coach. So clearly, Sky Blue has already been tagged as the team that no one can stay in a coaching job with, um, and we're a bit, a bit unhinged. And we, I go to the field to, to meet these two coaches, and I'm going to terminate them, and it's right down the street from the office. And you as a soccer guy know this was all at the PDA if you've ever been to PDA in New Jersey, you know, the, the academy that's here for especially girls' academy. Like Tobin Heath came out of PDA. Heather O'Reilly came out of PDA. Um, and, and what ensues is not very pleasant. 
they they bring me their stuff, they leave, not very comfortable, um, denying what we all had imminent proof was happening, so we didn't have to worry about that, but our attorney said, no, we have to terminate these guys. And I then addressed the team and say, okay, so what are we going to do now? <laughs> and Chrissy Rampone is there, she was injured, um, and was not particip- participating in practice, so I look at Christy, because this all was happening, I mean, like, in real time, and I mean real time, like, okay, now you have confirmation, now you have to make a move. So I pulled Christy aside and said, hey, can you do me a favor, can you run practice today, and then come back to, you know, the office after practice so we can talk about things. She said, oh, yeah, absolutely, and Christy's, like, the most positive person you'll ever meet. Super professional, you know, soccer mom, She's and these, these girls on the team um, really looked to her as their leader. She was clearly their leader. So um, practice goes on. They have a good practice. You could see visibly, as I made the announcement that the coach had been terminated, 75% of the women had a sigh of relief. Shoulders were like, okay, whew, that's good. 25%, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do now? So you could visibly see how people were going to react to this, and we kind of knew who was going to be who. Um, Practice is over. Christy comes back. I said, Christy, I have an idea. There's no way on earth we're going to pull, you know, hire a third coach now. Season's almost over. We're out of playoff position. Um, but I, I think we should still make a run for it. Why don't you take over as our player coach for the rest of the year? Are you willing to do that? Immediate, without hesitation, absolutely. Love to do that. I said, tell me what you need. She goes, well, if you could bring these two people in to support me so I'd have support. She gave me the names. I made some phone calls. Within 24 hours, Christy's the player coach, and we have two supporting coaches to support her that were her selections of who she wanted as part of her staff. And, and we get together, and we pull the, kid, the team together, and we go, here's what the plan is. We have three games left. If we get these results, we squeak into the playoffs in the fourth spot. We get the results we needed. Boston loses on the last day of the season, and Sky Blue gets the fourth spot in the playoffs. After all of this turmoil, right, the story gets even better if you want me to continue. Please do. (laughs) I'm on the edge of my seat here. (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to go into the playoffs. The playoff format, first year of WPS, was the um, fourth-place team plays the third-place team at the third-place's home stadium. The winner then plays the second-place team at their home stadium. And the winner then plays the final at the first team that finished first, their home stadium. The team that finished first was the L.A. Soul, and they played at the Home Depot Center in Los Angeles. Second place team was the St. Louis Athletica, who played in St. Louis, obviously. Third place team was the Washington Spirit, who played down in in D.C. And then there was us. We had not beaten any of those three teams all season. We got no result against any of them, not a tie or not a victory. We lost every time we played any of these teams. The L.A. Soul had Marta on the team. They had uh, a, a whole litany of superstars, right, on their team. Clearly pegged to win it, and they were backed by a big company and, and were, were in this thing to stay, supposedly. So now we embark. But before we embark, we get all the staff together, and all the, the office staff, ticket sales, marketing, Everybody in the company made like a going-away package for a particular player because they were going to get on the bus. Prior to that, Christy addresses the players because we say, okay, so we have a game on, if I remember correctly, we had a game on Saturday in D.C. If we won that game, 
we then had to immediately get on a plane in, in the Baltimore area to fly to St. Louis to play St. Louis on Wednesday. And if we won that game, we'd have to immediately fly to L.A. and play that game on Sunday. So it was a lot quick turnaround. And you're, you're dealing with a lot of unknowns, you know, airplane tickets, all this other stuff. So as we're preparing the team and the staff is all giving them all this stuff, Christy, the, the players go, well, what, what should we do? How should we pack? Like, you know, we could be home in one game or we could be gone for, you know, nearly 10 days. Her only words, and this is what we, we rallied on, was pack for the whole thing. We're not coming home unless we win. Sure enough, we get on the boat, but get on the bus, go down to D.C. We win that game. We fly to St. Louis. We win that game, and now we arrive in L.A. for the weekend game. And it's Saturday. The game is on Sunday, and we're trying to get relaxed. And Thomas and I get together. And, and now this season has been, as you can imagine, a crazy railroading, all over the place kind of season, with all the personnel changes and everything. And I said, so what do we do if we win? <laughs> you know, like what do you want to do here? He goes, you know, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Like at this point, we hadn't planned to win. We just planned to show up. So Thomas and I get in a car and we start driving around places and, and looking for a place to have a celebration. And then he says, you know what, win or lose, we're having a massive party. So let's, so we find a place on the beach in Huntington beach. We rent out the entire top floor of it and we get prepared and we said, win, lose or draw, we're having a party. So sure enough, we go to the final, we win the final after one of their players is red carded on a controversial call, but I still believe it was a red card. And we take home the first, WPS championship in 2009 going worst to first over a period of time with two coaching changes and a new GM and yada, yada, yada. And I have a, a article in front of me from the, the uh, sports illustrated from August 31st of 2009, which I am quoted in the headline article is blue sky finish after changing coaches twice and barely making the playoffs sky blue FC won WPS's first championship. That's incredible. It, was that written by Grant Wall? No, it was not. Uh, I know Grant, though. Yeah, but he has a podcast now. You know that. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is written by Kelly Anderson. Okay. But wait. Yep. The story gets better. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so we're at the party now. Now, if you remember, when this coaching change happened, I said Christy was out from an injury. She had an abdominal injury, right? So we're at the party. And, and we clearly, again, we planned for the party, but we didn't plan any, like, champagne or anything for the locker room because we, we just weren't, you know, like, we, we weren't thinking along those lines. So uh, we're at the party. We're sitting there now. All the players, Abby Wambach shows up because she's sitting there. There's all the players from opposing teams are visiting. And it was a lot of fun. We had a blast. I mean, we blew the budget. Like, we had a budget set for the party. We blew the budget in the first hour. And I went back to Thomas and said, Okay, we're done. What do you think? He goes, ah, let it roll. You know, we won. Who cares? We, we blew it up. But I called Christy over, and, and she goes, yeah, I have to talk to you. I said, okay. She goes, I want you to hear it from me so you don't from other people. Um, when After the game and when we won, we did get our hands on some alcohol, obviously, and everybody was celebrating. She goes, but I couldn't drink, and the players wanted to know why, so I had to tell the players, so now I'm going to tell you. She goes, okay. She goes, I'm seven and a half weeks pregnant. So now she had just marked Marta off the field. Christy Rampone is Marta's mortal enemy. And Marta, as you probably know, is the, you know, is the messy of women's soccer, right, from Brazil. 
And, but she sees Christy on the field, and you can see her eyes turn. She's terrified of her, and Christy just marks her off the field. And, and she comes, she goes, so you remember when I was injured, I, I actually had some abdominal stuff that went on, and we found out we were pregnant, but we kept it secret, and we knew even to this date I could still play. But if this game was next week, I wasn't allowed to play. <laughs> so playing at seven and a half weeks pregnant, 90 minutes over, 90 minutes th- times three over seven days at this level, um, and we win a championship, and that's what we find out at the party afterwards. That that is an incredible testament. Um, <laughs> it, no, it really it really is. And and when you, well, you're aware of the case with the um, the women's soccer um, team and the and the, the the pay parity and all that stuff, and how U.S. Oh, soccer, I'm aware of all of it. yeah, oh yeah, it's like damn, that's a nail right there. So the reward we got for all of that is a trip that. That happened a month later. We got to go to the White House and be greeted by President Obama at the time, and uh, and go through the whole the whole thing that everyone gets an opportunity to do when you when you have that kind of success. All right, that is incredible. That's an incredible story. So I thought that would wow. be what you'd be interested in with your soccer background. Well, I am. In fact, you know, it's it's funny when you were mentioning, you know, with the, the, the trip, how do we pack? And we have soccer tournament teams, and we see these messages go go through to the to the tournament directors all the time. And these teams are all concerned about, well, we can't get a hotel room for in, you know, in case we do the championship and we're not you know, it's like, what are our plans, you know, um, and what what's our schedule so we need to plan on when to be there? And it's like, dude. You signed up for a soccer tournament for a whole weekend. I would plan to right. be there the entire weekend, and I would I would plan to win. And if you're doing nothing, if you're if you're not even doing that, you know why are you even here at this tournament? So well, you can imagine. I mean, you have so you have a the other decision we made during this time was you know you had a roster of um, you could roster eighteen players, and in those days you had five players that were kind of. What were they called? I forget the exact. They were like developmental players, right? That you had. You you didn't roster them, but you could add. Like let's say you had injuries, you could add them to your team. But they were there for practice and stuff like that. And we made the decision right out of the box that hey, if we're going on this journey, this, these all these women, you know, were were a player here. We're bringing them all. So now, so we have a traveling party of of twenty three players. You have three staff, three coaches. You have a trainer. You have you know the equipment person. You have us in the front office. So you're talking about probably a traveling party of let's say 30 to 35 people, and you're driving in a bus to Baltimore for for the first game, but knowing that if you win, you're going right from that bus. You're not coming home. You're going to the airport. So and you're flying to St. Louis, and then you know if that happens, you have to fly to L.A. and then you have to fly home. Now, fortunately, at the time, one of the minority owners of the team owned a corporate travel company. So he had somebody in, in the office who I was working with, giving him updates on where we were going to be. And the, literally the moment the whistle blows in Baltimore, I'm not celebrating. I'm calling her on the office and going, okay, book the tickets. <laughs> get them booked. <laughs> get us buses. Get us tickets. You know, then you're moving all your equipment and the soccer right. balls. Yeah. The uniforms have to be cleaned. Well, how do, where do we go when we get to St. Louis with the equipment person to go clean these uniforms and do all this other stuff? Because it's not like you had, you know, 100 kits for people. You were, you were turning stuff around. You know, and then you do it again. Same thing in St. Louis. The whistle blows. Boom. You know, you know let's go. We had to get to the airport and we got to fly to L.A. One of the greatest stories is our, we had a, um, our third-string goalkeeper was also kind of like a motivational piece 
speaker, and, and um, her name is Shannon Myers, just a fantastic woman. And, uh, and she was traveling with her guitar, an acoustic guitar. <laughs> so you, a small we are, instrument. We are, yeah. We're all in the airport in St. Louis, ready to go to L.A., and it's all the women sitting around, all the equipment is there. I mean, it's just a, it's a mess. There's no seats, so people are sitting on the floor and everything. Shannon gets out her guitar and start, starts playing um, Jason Mraz's song. And just kind of strumming along, and then a couple people start singing. Well, then a guy across the way sees, he comes over, he's got a violin. So he starts playing. Before we know it, there's like a crowd of 150 people watching these two people perform, and everybody's singing along, and they're going, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're a women's pro soccer team. We're going, blah, 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 and the whole story's being told. It was one of the single coolest moments of this entire crazy escapade. And it had nothing to do with soccer. It had to do with the fact that, these people were all just, they had, these women had grown together and had such a bond. You know, it was, it was so cool to watch. Uh, very hard to describe, but very cool. Oh, to watch. no, and, and it's incredible. In fact, I've always long advocated that, you know, yeah, kids play soccer, you know, soccer players, but that's not their entire world. And their, their world expands into literature and music and, and, and performance and theater and just, just all these other skills and, 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 things that they do with their lives um if we could somehow harness that as as a this is this is who this team is you, you know what i mean i mean I, I, and i've i've, oh, I I, totally I've kind of it goes, I, I would reverse that i would reverse engineer that thinking all the way back to um you know when you're coaching eight and nine year olds yeah right so well, walk me um, through I, that I, well, I've spent a lot of time coaching those kids back, you know, back in the day. And I mean, my oldest son is 32 now, but when he was, um, it's funny, my wife and I are just cleaning out our house and we found the very, very, very first trophy mm. in the basement that I... these guys ever won <laughs> when they were an eight-year-old all-star team, you know, and they won the East Brunswick Labor Day tournament. And, you know, this was a big thing. So we started this team and, um, and I got to handpick the kids because I was one of the few people who was actually a soccer player. I played in college. So obviously when you were like me, and, and now this is 25 years ago, people tried to get you as involved as possible because hopefully they were smart enough they could learn something, and, and it worked out very well. So I got to go through this team. Now my town that I was in never let a traveling team under 12, year old, 12 year, years old travel at that point, which is kind of the age they chose you know, was the time. And now this is back in, oh, 1994 maybe, um, right around the World Cup time. And uh, so I convinced them, because I was also the travel director, I convinced them and said, hey, we should let teams younger travel. Uh, I'm going to take out a team. My son's eight years old. I'm going to take out an, a, a U9, so an eight-year-old. Um, we'll call them a tournament team as a test and see if it works. So I got to have, you know, the first team, you didn't even have to have tryouts for. They, these kids were, you know, they're babies. But I was coaching, so I went through and I handpicked 12 kids that I thought would make a good team based on position and everything else and bring these guys together, and, and now they're all picked from different teams, and we start practicing, and you can see the bond starting to form. And the team was pretty good. I mean, good enough that they didn't lose a game for three and a half years and won every tournament we played in. And the name of the team was the Sarah Lightning, and, you know, you would watch when we got to a tournament. You know, what you know, you're in the soccer tournament business. The first thing that happens when you get to an outdoor tournament, everybody runs up to the board <laughs> to see the draw and to see who they're going to play. And this the first time that in those days, it was the first time they found out. Right. You know, we weren't, Didn't have email back then. The way you do now. Yeah, websites. So, um, so everybody runs up to the board. Now, I'm tucked away on the side with one of my assistant coaches, and we watch this whole team walk in, and we watch them look up at the board, and then we hear a collective sigh, and we hear one of the kids go, 
oh man, we have to play Sarah of a Lightning. Like it was hysterical, right? They were talking about nine year old kids. It was hysterical. So now we had built this this um, kind of massive rivalry in our heads with a local team that we would run into at every tournament, and and you could just these kids just would I mean blood and guts on the field they were leaving it out there it was so much fun to watch great sportsmanship no, nothing out of line uh, myself and the other coach got along great we we appreciated what we had because we were in it the parents on the other hand a little crazy. So <laughs> Nothing's my parents changed. had very strict rules for me. Yeah. Say, here's what you're allowed to do. Here's what you're not allowed to do. And if you really don't like these rules, then that's okay because there's 12 other kids that want to come on this team. And they all complied and everything was fine. So now the, the games all end. We win. We're waiting for the trophy presentation. And, and all the team, the kids are starting to just kind of lay in. There's this hill and the kids are starting to lay in, in this hill. And I have all the parents by me. I see the other team's parents by them. And what you what we just watched after in the next five minutes was the magic of soccer, right? The other team were now coming and hanging out with our guys. They were mixing. And we're talking about at this point they're ten years old. They don't. They're they're not. They fortunately have not been burned by society or anything <laughs> yet. Yeah. And they're all hanging out together. So I grab all my parents because the parents are then going to start getting their kids. The other team's parents are going to get their kids. Myself and the other coach turn around and address our parents relatively quiet and go, look what's going on down there. That's what this is supposed to be about. It's not about that we're taking the first place trophy home and you're taking the second place or vice versa. That's what it's supposed to be about. These kids will build bonds with kids from other towns, other states, through this amazingly beautiful game that they are starting to understand at a level that you as grownups haven't even come close to understanding. And it was, it's just, to me, that's what soccer is. And that came to me because I had the opportunity when I was 16 years old to be on the field and play with Pelé and be around Pelé for a period of time where this infectious personality that this guy had who came to America to play for the Cosmos at the time um, and was trying to build the game. And, but he just, he just loved the sport so much that you had to have a love of the sport it wasn't winning or losing or traveling or playing center forward or goalkeeper. It was playing the game, and that's what you loved. And that's what makes soccer, in my world, different than any other sport that Americans play. It's a game that's played in the heart, not in the legs and not in the arms. It's the heart and the head. I agree, and and part of what we're we're kind of fighting up against now that the you know it's it's what twenty some years later, soccer has evolved, and the and the whole soccer tournament industry has evolved. You get a lot of these director of coaches now of clubs who believe that the soccer tournament is all about soccer, and we're going no, dude, no, you got it all wrong. It's all about it's an event where you just have soccer as an excuse to get together. And I think that the soccer tournament directors who approach soccer tournaments as an event that brings people together, and yeah, you, you got to play some soccer, you got to play at least three games, whatever, and somebody wins, somebody loses. But that's not the whole point there. But these director of coaches have taken over these clubs, and they've made the soccer tournament event all about soccer. Yeah, they're just missing. They're they're missing. They they're are missing the purpose of the game. It's a huge, huge Especially spirit the, just being sucked the, out of it. Kids age. Yeah. The, the age oh yeah. Kids are at. You know, they're so. You know, the the best story that I have of all this time. There was a. It was a player I had on that very first team, 
And, um, and this kid was just, uh, name was Chris and just this little slight, tiny thing. Um, always one of the smaller kids on the team, but he was the kid who had the biggest heart and the most courage and would try the craziest stuff on the field, you know, like step overs and nutmegs. And I mean, you know, trying to rainbow somebody on the field during a game. And I would encourage it because he's having, like these kids were having fun. They were loving the game. Right. So, so he starts to grow up. Now, all these kids I still stay in touch with, like three-quarters of my original team I'm friends with on Facebook, and we joke back and forth. These are all now grown men with families, you know, which is hysterical to me. So Chris, Chris winds up going to a high, the high school um, in the next town over, and my wife wound up being a teacher there. And his mom was a – you know, she became a friend of ours. So we see his mom in a shop right, and this was around the time he's a senior in high school. And uh, – and she says to my wife, did you see the thing that Chris submitted for his English final project? And my wife's a math teacher. She said, no, no, I didn't know anything about it. She goes, oh, let me tell you about it. And, and I was there. She goes, the final project was they had to pick the three most influential people in their life. And he picked me as one of those three people. And his reasoning was I taught him to love soccer. That was it wasn't I taught him to be a better player or I taught him how to play defense or how to cross a ball or how to trap or anything like that is I taught him to love the game. He wound up going on and play four years of college soccer. Um, he just recently got married. His wife is actually pregnant. And, and to me, that's one of my personal greatest success stories. Like it's not about making the biggest sale in my business or closing the biggest deal. I had an influence on that kid who now is going to influence other kids and that's what our job is in this sport. It's not to make him a better player or help him get a college scholarship. He loves the game now. That's more important than anything. Oh, that's a huge thing. And and you 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 could probably list a mile long of the of the coaches who have just basically sucked the spirit out of kids. Um, mm-hmm. And but we're not we won't go into that. But anyhow, the name of this podcast is Old Man Stink, and at the and and, and at the danger of being two old men regaling glories of our past <laughs> i'm going to now kind of pivot this a little bit and say let's let's look toward the future you are an old man i guess i do have gray hair yeah. admittedly you you are so tell us tell us about like the things you do as an old man that keeps you young and current in technology what do you use with the tools you use, how you use them, what you don't use, and why? Um, I can tell you what I don't use, Instagram, because I just don't see the value of it. Okay. Um, I, I use, I, I, again, my old madness is going to come out. I do use Facebook. I know a lot of people in business think Facebook's a joke. I like Facebook for a couple things. Number one, I can follow soccer at a different level and, and be tied into the teams I love and um, and so on, and, and learn information quick. Uh, I use it to connect with old, um, other old folks like myself from high school and my past who we've lost contact, and, and now I've been able to circle back and rekindle friendships that I, I had years ago that went sideways. Um, and things like my old players, like in this is a perfect example of these old players that, you know, they've now spread around the country. They're having families of their own. Um, one of them is in Turkey. And, and, you know, they still choose to stay in contact with this old guy for some reason because I coached them from the time they were 8 until they were 12 and we moved. So if you think about it, I still have contact with, you know, of those 12 kids, 8 of those 12 kids still stay regularly in contact with me through Facebook. And 
and I haven't been face-to-face with them in 20 years. So to me, that's a really cool value of social media. Um, what I'm struggling with these days with social media and specifically Facebook is how much I have to scan through to get to the stuff I like and, and how much I wish there was a better filtering capability on, on my Facebook feed to be able to say, these are really the only things I care about. Can I just see these? I really don't care if you hit me with more ads. Just let me pick my news more effectively and, and get rid of all the trash and the garbage that's out there. Um, LinkedIn is clearly the biggest channel I use from a business perspective. Um, I've been starting to get way more active in having more of an opinion on LinkedIn and getting more engaged. Um, and I think it's probably because now as I am getting a little older, I'm more comfortable in my own opinion and not afraid to challenge people in a very professional way. I try to keep everything as professional as humanly possible. But I do believe that it's only good if you engage and you challenge. Um, there's someone I follow, and I won't name anybody, and I actually put a post up about it on LinkedIn. It was interesting, the results I got back from the, the comments I got back. But this particular guy, is a, he's older than us, and he's a consultant, and all he does is repurpose people's articles and adds no commentary to it at all, which I find the most useless um, um, you know, usage of time. If you're going to take the time to share someone's post, add something to it. Have an opinion. Or, or whether negative or positive. Say, I, I found XYZ of this article to be really engaging. You might too. Here's the article. That's more than just copying that article. But he keeps doing it and he keeps doing it, and I would love to take him on on it, but I don't want to be that you know, much of a, you know, a nudge. Yeah, you don't want to be that guy. But I think LinkedIn is a very po- you know, powerful tool. But again, uh, I wish there were more filtering capabilities to be able to get it more fine-tuned to where you needed to be fine-tuned. Um, I am not a medium guy for whatever reason. I, I know medium, um, but I don't I, like there's medium. And there's also another one that my son uses. Um, oh, he's a tech guy. What, what's the, the tech guy place where you guys hang out? Mm, I don't, I don't hang out in a lot of tech, uh, tech places. It, it's, another, um, it's another, it's another place where people post stuff all the time. Yeah. I would say catapult, but it's probably Quora. Is it no, Quora? I've been on no? Quora as well. Um, mm. Reddit. 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 Oh Reddit yeah. Guy. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm not. I don't get the whole Reddit thing. I guess maybe it's just not visually appealing, so I don't. It <laughs> it, don't, it does harken back to the old days of of bulletin boards. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's a tech kid. He's a software engineer, and I know he spends a lot of All time right. on Reddit. And he's a gamer, so there's a lot of. Oh, okay. Places yeah. Tons of that. that. Yeah. Um, but, Twitch. You know, from Twitch a too. Standpoint, yeah. I, I, you know, I run a I run a sales organization, so. I really believe there's a lost, there's this really phenomenal tool out there that people are stopping using for some reason. And, and you know, you pick it up and you press a few buttons and you actually speak to somebody. I, I think it's called a telephone, not a cell phone, but an actual telephone. <laughs> the one with the, like, um, the old-timey ring and the and the dial? Do you use one with a dial or the crank on the side? No, I, no, <laughs> I, I actually wish I still had one of those. But I, I actually use one where you push buttons. And, you know, it's kind of like a cell phone. But it, it uses a different technology for you to talk. You know, and we have to educate salespeople on it every once in a while because it's called a telephone. And you pick them up, and you actually talk to people. You're like, you don't text them. You actually talk to them. And it's amazing how much more business can be done when you actually talk to people. Yeah, do you know and Mark? If there was never yeah. an old guy thing to say, I just yeah. Do you know Mark Hunter? He writes uh, yes. a tons of, yeah, he writes tons of business books, and that's his big thing, too, is just... No, call, call people, start calling. Yeah. yeah. 
So, well, but, you know, I, I know that's not a tech thing, but today yeah. it's low tech, no, but it's, it's, tech. it's highly effective tech. Typewriters are tech, you know. Horses are tech. <laughs> it's all tech. Um, so the, the common the common wisdom on LinkedIn is that video is the newest thing. It's the thing we everyone should be into. Ten words on that. What's your What's your opinion on that? Well, uh, you, you stretch it to eleven. If it's not engaging and fun, don't play it. I I, I don't want to watch a product video. I don't want you to tell me how great you are at what you do. Um, Entertain me. I, to me, it's still social media. Um, I find people use LinkedIn that, that use LinkedIn as their sole source of business generation and have only one mentality. It's to grow their business is, is the misuse of LinkedIn. I believe LinkedIn should be more of a social networking platform for business people to get to know each other, find mutual interests, share stories, maybe have a little fun and not be so damn serious all the time and, and relax a little bit. But I'll, and, and the other thing is, I mean, I've, I've been playing around with LinkedIn just a little bit lately in terms of posts to try to gauge posts that would work better than other posts in terms of viewers and things like that. I do not claim to understand how the LinkedIn algorithm works, um, but there's clearly something at play with the way LinkedIn chooses to serve up your, you know, your information and what you post. But my big question first was, would posts with pictures get more uh, viewership than posts that are all text? Now, my preconceived idea going into this little minor study was certainly things that have pictures in them are going to get more views than things that don't have pictures in them. And I could not have been more wrong with respect to my own my own posts specifically. Hmm. So it's... Posts that have just words. Just words. Just words. Is and there... I can give you a couple examples. Okay. Example us. So, because you've commented on almost almost all of them. So, I, I, I've put a couple of posts up that were either blogs that I have written that had cool graphics, like there was a graphic of a face mask over a, over a shopping cart, you know, things like that. And those types of posts from my feed will generally get anywhere from, on the low side, 550 or 600, and on the high side, 750 or 800 views. Um, and I have, I don't know, what do I have? 2,600 followers. So then I said, well, let me, let me put some other stuff up and see how that goes. So my, my be- I'm scrolling to try to get through my stuff right now to, to give you a good example um, of a post I put up, but it was the most basic post. Oh, I know what it was. The, the post said how to get unfollowed by me on LinkedIn. And then I, I did, I have captured some of the, um, some of the tricks of, you know, use multiple spaces. So you then have to scroll through to get, you know, people to click the rest of your message and all that stuff. Which this I find incredibly post, annoying. It's so annoying, yeah. but it works. So yeah, it works. It, right? so I, like, yeah, you do it until it doesn't work anymore, and then you, then you figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. So this particular post, which was all of maybe eight sentences, you know, with, with a couple spaces in between it, has over 3,500 views. Why? Someone explain to me why that happened. And it has to have something to do with their algorithm. Well, it, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it does. And I guess that was my next question as I was banging this around in my head is, does the length of the post 
matter if it's just text okay so what's the maximum number of words or the maximum amount of time somebody will will spend on a post before they just don't engage anymore or they engage immediately do they i i i, I don't know i suppose well, it's buried the thing, yeah the other thing you would think is the comments and the likes would matter as well right so here here's one of the posts that has the greatest results i just got it in front of me so the first sentence was so what this was i put this up two weeks ago so what has truly changed in the last seven days, question mark? And then I have three spaces. Every company and brand are now posting about racial injustice and showing support. It seems COVID has become less important and emails are flowing from company CEOs. Then a couple spaces. Instead of a public quote unquote show and an empty promise, how about actually doing something meaningful? And here's a crazy idea, dot, 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 dot. And a couple more spaces. Don't tell anyone until you have done it. Don't use it to, quote-unquote, build your brand. Do it because it's the right thing to do. And I had one hashtag, all lives matter. This was way before I realized you're not supposed to say all lives matter um, because clearly I'm, I'm not nearly as sensitive as I should be. But this particular post had 33 likes, 8 comments, but 3,727 views in the feed. Why? No graphic, just those words. It was somewhat timely and only one hashtag. I also read an article that said you should never have more than three hashtags in your LinkedIn post. Three is a, evidently the magic number for hashtags you're supposed to use. And, and I the think guy the, that I told you about before yeah. who just randomly reposts people's stuff, right. he will routinely have at least 30 hashtags mm. you know, after his posts. So maybe it's working for him. I, I don't, don't know. I don't know either. But I've been I've been experimenting on my posts on hashtags, and it looks like the first hashtag always kind of gets picked up and trending. If you put hashtags in a line, it gets less interaction than if you put individual hashtags on on their separate lines. But if oh, you, really? but I think I, 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 I did not know. Well, in, in, at least in my feed, it looks like that's what's happening. And but I haven't yet called it down to say three max. Though the, the number five has always kind of been stuck in my head, and I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I, I read some article by some, you know, evident, evidently LinkedIn consultant who, you know, knows how to make LinkedIn better than everybody else. And they said that it was three hashtags was the magic number because of the algorithm. Okay. None of us know what's going on. LinkedIn knows the algorithm, and the minute a significant portion of us figure it out, they change it. So that's why I'm, I'm – it, it, the, the – the line after the first sentence, dot, 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 and then you put, you know, paragraph so that people have to scroll in. I think they're on to us. I, 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 I hope not because I finally figured it out. I don't want to have to relearn something new Oh, now. you will have to relearn. You, you will always have to. Re- Did we not talk about evolution way back? I'm sure, I'm sure we even started this, this, this podcast with, a, with the theory of evolution. Well, we have been jawing on for, my thing says, 54 minutes and 40 seconds. And we could probably do this for another three or four hours, but we're not going to do that because our listeners have lives. And we're also getting older. So take us. Oh, yeah, you, t- know, you, can only, you know, there's only so much time between bathroom breaks that we, you know, we can take here. Well, exactly. And, and well, that, that, you know, parlays into another topic entirely, which we won't go into. But give us a few minutes. Where do people find you? Why, why would people look you up? Um, just do a plug for yourself. Uh, well, my name is Gerard Marone. My, uh, I do have a, a personal website called MaroneStrategy.com, which you can check out. Um, it's actually got a soccer theme. I know that's a big shock. Uh, I'm the chief revenue officer for a company called Spar Group. 
and you can find our website at sparinc.com. Uh, on LinkedIn, I am Gerard Marone, and on Facebook, I am also Gerard Marone it's a unique name and you can usually get anything to put Gerard in first before anybody else. <laughs> well, whoa. <laughs> as, as a fellow Gerard, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I pretty much got that, that SEO down. Oh, funny yeah, story about here's SEO. Here's the question. Yeah. Here's the question. Mm-hmm. You have children, right? Any of your children, boys? Um, well, one of them is, I have two, one's 34, going to be turning 35 in August. And the other is 29, just turned in, in March. And I have but here's three. The, here's the, Here's the breaking question that you have to answer. Breaking question. Did you name one of your children Gerard? I did not. Oh, is that the I secret? Did. Damn it. My uh. oldest son is Gerard. That had, after growing up with the tortured life of being called Gerald yeah. or Jerome mm-hmm. my entire life, which is why when I do go by Jerry, which I don't favor, I spell it with a G just to try to be different. Sure. Um, I had to name my son Gerard just for that. And do you know why I am named Gerard? And I don't know if your reason is the same. Okay, tell me. Do you know who St. Gerard was? I do. Patron saint of um, expectant, expectant mothers. mothers. Right. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. My mom had some trouble. My mom had lost a couple babies and had my older brother who got my father's name, Michael. And six years later, I came along and she was having some difficulty and prayed to St. Gerard that said, if this baby is healthy, I am naming him Gerard. And that's how I became a Gerard. I became a Gerard because that was my maternal grandfather's name. And they're they're French Canadians, so um, that we won't hold that against you. Well, I, well I'm, I'm I'm fighting the legacy. <laughs> anyway, well, you um, only have forty. You only have forty percent of the value as a yeah, French Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> Anything at all? <laughs> well, I actually just got up a call before you with a woman in Canada who was talking to me about the exchange rate. So that's yeah. where I got the forty percent from. I hear you. Gotcha. All right. Well, I have in in the several years I've been doing this this podcast on and off and on a regular basis. I have not yet come up with a clever way of signing off. And so what I do is I usually ask my guests. You know, I've got a pre recorded outro which you'll which you'll hear after after we quit jawing here. But take us out. Uh, take know, us take us out. Stay healthy. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. And let's fight through this crazy stuff we're going through because I think we're going to come out better on the other side. And there we have it. You have been listening to Old Man Stink, the podcast for tech-savvy late boomers and early Gen Xers. Join us next week where we will have another exciting guest of a certain age. (laughs) 